All right. Welcome back, everybody. This is Daily DVR. My name is Axel. You can check us out at DVRpodcast.com. Of course, you can become a patron. Yes. You know what? Becoming a patron is such a beautiful thing. I want to thank all of our patrons, old and new. And guess what? We actually have a patron on this podcast. He went to patreon.com slash DVR. As I am a patron of his podcast as well, we are patrons of each other. And this is my good friend, Derek Barris of over 30 years. What year? What what day is it now, Derek? It's Friday, October 27th. It is 30 years ago. Last month we would have met. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome, dude. Yep. 30 fucking years, man. How you doing, buddy? I'm good. Feeling feeling it in my bones those 30 years a little bit, but still still getting out. I, as I mentioned, I I cycle by your by your residence regularly, so I'm I'm getting the miles in. And uh and it just dropped to 30 degrees today in the 30s today in our area, so so a little cold, but otherwise feeling feeling solid. Have you already done like a 30-mile bike ride today? I did 26 miles today. You, you, when you ride, <laughs> you really do. See, I'm getting back on. You'll be happy to hear. I'm trying to get a little healthier. Now, my wife is super healthy. She runs like fucking, she'll run 10, 15 miles at a clip. She's amazing like that. But I always prefer the last the time I saw you, she was running. Yeah, yeah. The last time I saw you, she had just come in from a run. But yeah, yeah I, my, my knees won't allow for running. So yeah. I'm with you on the bicycle. Yep. Me too. And plus, I just grew up riding bikes, man. It, it, it motivates me in a way that running could never do because when I'm on a bike, even if it's stationary, I get, I just kind of get this feeling, which is what I've been doing lately. I'm up to, a little over two miles a day, which is good. I started off like with half a mile, then I went up, then I keep on kind of going up, right? It hasn't been that long. I mean, we've been in this new place like three months or so, and we got that. So it's maybe it's been about a month and a half or so. So I'm kind of slowly working it up, and I have missed some days, but I do feel so much healthier. I feel just the heart rate, you know, it's just getting the heart pumping. Um, well, you also have a lot of great hills right by you. I mean, there's some serious climbs that are wonderful right in your area. So you can probably go off your driveway and immediately get your heart rate up. Uh, yeah, no, I'm doing a stationary bike now. I'm in my laundry oh, room. Oh, okay. Yeah, right now. I haven't been using. <laughs> no, I'm not. That's what I'm saying. I am in no, no way am I. I can't. I, I couldn't do two miles. I would be dead. These are like serious hills. I can't believe you do that. (laughs) I love those hills because it's about, it's about 10 miles the way that I go. So from my area, I go to the 205 bike path down to Oregon city. And then once I cut across, across the bridge, there's all the hills there and you're up in there somewhere. And those, so I, I have 10 miles of mostly flats. Then I hit Oregon city and then I know I'm going to start climbing and that's where I really get my workout in. Yeah. Yeah. I would say you do, my friend. I'd <laughs> say you do. You're pretty amazing. You should be very proud of yourself. And I'm proud of you. That's, that's hard fucking work, dude. Uh, that's really amazing. But the bike always makes me feel free. When I was a kid, 
we used to always go to different towns, just go on bike rides, like four or five kids. Like that was just a thing that we did. So I just love bikes Same. in general. Yeah. Same. Sure, and so I do crazy. feel so much of my workouts connect with what I did growing up. So I, I lift weights three days a week. Well, I started lifting when I was a teenager with my father because my father ran his company gym on the side just because he loved it. And we had a we had a gym in our basement that he had built. So that's such a part of my youth. The bike, the bike riding part is still my favorite thing. And that's because just like you in the suburbs of New Jersey, that's what I did. Uh, I was a lifeguard for years right yeah. back then. So swimming is still in my life. So even though, and I'm still playing, uh, I play in a saw, so I play in two different softball leagues and then I'm starting to play in a Portland volleyball league next week. So everything I do to stay healthy is really just nothing different than when I did when we were growing up. Well, let me tell you something. Um, I do play with a lot of Lego and that keeps my <laughs> fingers very nimble. And that's I important. Wrist strength, wrist strength. Yes. Right? I also grind weed in the grinder. So that gives me <laughs> wrist strength. Then I, you were doing that when you were six and seven. <laughs> I remember. Brings me back to my youth. <laughs> no actually you're actually one of the first people i ever smoked pot i probably you're you might be like well the first was jeremy before the cypress hill rage against the machine concert at livingston <laughs> college at rutgers that was the first time i ever smoked pot which i think is kind of an awesome story um, and it was, so you were a sophomore. So you, cause you're a year older than me. So yeah. you were actually a, you made it through freshman year on yeah. that campus without smoking weed. Wow. I know dude. <laughs> I, cause I never smoked until college. And as soon as I got to that campus, the first or second week I started. <laughs> oh my God. There was so, there was so that's what, but you know what, when I talk to other people who went to Rutgers at the same time, it's such a big school that they had a different experience to me. There was like everywhere you walk, people were just smoking blunts on their porch, handing it to you. Like everyone was just on drugs all the time. But then I talked to other people and they were like, no, I studied hard. And other people were like, we drank a lot. And I was like, gosh, really? We were just always high and tripping like all the time. I but, think um, our campus was really designed for drug use. So yes. I think I think that's where we true. were environment. <laughs> like cuz if you're on Bush, if you were on Bush, you probably had a much different experience. Yes, that's true. Livingston yeah. Livingston yeah. did make you you felt like you were in the Planet <laughs> of the Apes or some 70s dystopian like Russian movie or something. So you had to like yeah. down in the tunnels going into East uh, Berlin or some shit, you know what I'm saying? And and living in the middle of an ecological preserve yeah. where we ate ate mushrooms and in the middle of the night walked out into that and we're <laughs> you're in a forest basically, uh, you know, at 2 a.m. Uh, tripping. So that, that was, was part awesome. of the experience as well. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, those were the days. Those were the days, baby. Um, I don't remember how we started talking about that, but it was a good talk, but let's continue. <laughs> you, as I said, have a podcast. You had a pot. You used to have a podcast called earth rise, right? That was the name yes. of it. Now yes, that was my first podcast. Yes, that was your first podcast. And I came on that podcast and you came on this one while you were doing that podcast. We talked about it, but more recently you have a podcast that is really blown up 
called Conspirituality. And you have a book as well, too. Now you have partners. You're part of a uh, threesome on this one. Uh, is that what you call it? Do you say we're a threesome? <laughs> like when you talk to people? <laughs> that doesn't sound right. We, we, we actually say trio, but maybe, oh, I'll okay. have to start, maybe I'll have to start saying threesome. <laughs> That's, you just say we're, we're, we're a podcast menage, baby. That's what we're up to here. Um, but for people don't know, for people who don't know, I mean, normally we talk a lot about TV and film, but we've talked about other stuff on this pod and we will talk about some TV stuff, but as it is a podcast, I think it's really interesting. I mean, you've done a really great job and this has become a really big deal out in the world, but also at the same time, you're doing a great thing, which is your kind of uncovering falsehoods, trying to re-educate people, trying to help people live, I think, a clearer life, right? Or find a way to be involved with perhaps some sort of spirituality in a way that doesn't take advantage of others, right? Um, but maybe I should let you talk a little bit about it. What is it to you, Conspirituality? What is the podcast kind of meant to you? I've been involved in the well, so-called broader wellness world, you know, really since since we started at Rutgers. Yeah, I remember. Uh, but that was that was more studying philosophy and religion, but then afterwards getting involved in yoga. And it always bothered me that people in that space would take advantage of other people. And there's many ways that that happens. And I was pretty deeply embedded in it for a long time, and I still practice meditation. I still do yoga. In fact, as I said earlier, as we're aging, yoga becomes ever more important just to keep me limber. And you know, when I wake up in the morning, I feel stiff, and then I do some stretches, and I do some breathing, and I feel better. So it's a very yeah. important component of my day. But the idea that people would take something that's presented as a pathway to some sort of self-knowledge or self-realization uh, self and manipulate people is really, I would say, at the heart of the work of why I co-founded Conspirituality. You know, my two co-hosts, Matthew Remsky and Julian Walker, we all have our the different- The bread in your sandwich. Yeah, yeah. We have different reasons. <laughs> we have different reasons for why we do this and different pathways into both spirituality and wellness, but also different ways of looking at it and being critical of it. And mine just happens to focus on health and science misinformation because part of my career has been as a health and science writer as well. And when with people who are completely scientifically illiterate, but that they're very charismatic and they can sell a story, uh, you know, it's it. They will then say, "All vaccines are bad. Big pharma is just trying to make money from you. You have everything that you need in your body already to heal yourself and to live the best life ever. And oh, buy my supplement because that'll make it even better." And it happens over and over again. But that's that's a trend that I've identified long before the podcast, but it, it has become part of my work is trying to show people the ways that people take advantage and manipulate what sh should seemingly be something that helps people. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this, because having been your friend for many a year, um, I think 
one of the things that we both connected on when we met was our experiences with religion and our interest in it as well. But also, I think we were both, though we may have been skeptical because of our experiences, we were both open to also seeing the positive things that can come from community, right? From people um, Mm -hmm. believing in something together, working together, uh, that kind of thing. And we, at different times in our lives, have been more open to an experience or maybe being an observer. How has your, having done this podcast, you wrote the book, you've done tons of amazing interviews, gotten a lot of attention, been able to, been in contact with people who are in, you are in contact with the people that you're, I wouldn't say against or exposing, they know who you are, right? You're, you become a player in this world. How has your own, how has it changed you personally? That's something that's interested me because I know just from working on a podcast daily, I know both of us, when we try to work, when we try to do something or have a project, you put yourself, you put your whole self into it. It's not, it's not really work. It's something that you want to build and accomplish, right? And, and cultivate. But it does change you and it, and you have to, it kind of, you know, it looks at you as you look at it. How do you think this has changed your own personal view of maybe your own experience or the people that you have been around in this world for so long? I would say that I've been changed more by our listeners than by any of the figures we covered because being critical of people. And one thing we made sure of and we've kept to in three and a half years is we don't punch down. Like if there's some influencer with a thousand followers saying some bullshit, we don't really pay attention to them. We might highlight themes, but we don't really go after them. We're usually aiming at people who have platforms of hundreds of thousands or millions of followers because their influence is going to be is going to be that much larger and we feel that that needs to be called out. Uh, but the the listeners, one challenge that I've had with the podcast is that, as you well know, the native language of New Jersey is sarcasm, <laughs> and I, I I am generally a sarcastic person. I actually view it as a bonding tool with my friends. It's a it's a certain worldview. Yeah. It's very important, but people not from where we're from or who don't have a relationship to it get extremely offended. And that has been a challenge because especially more earlier on, my sarcasm would come off in different ways because people aren't accustomed to that language. And we actually did an an entire episode called Snark Tank, which we talked, the three of us talked about our own experiences and why we are the way that we are. Now, I don't, I don't not be sarcastic because I still think it's it's important to, as the saying goes in the wellness world, find your own voice. And that is very much part of who I am. But what has been important for me in my own understanding of the world and how I present information is recognizing that people have many different experiences 
So one thing that I was much more probably unconsciously engaging in when I was, you know, in fully in the fitness world as my occupation are things like fat shaming or understanding what ableism is and understanding that there are a lot of people with chronic illnesses and are not able-bodied. So when you're talking about certain things is to keep them in mind. Now, it's never possible to, to cover any topic and be able to identify everyone affected by that topic. Yes. So I, I do keep that in consideration, but there's also ways of speaking that take more people to consideration. And I ho- I think that that is something that has changed over the course of my couple of years with the podcast where I can speak a little more broadly and take more people into consideration. And I hope to continue to grow in that direction while also recognizing who I am and that especially when it comes to the people that we cover, sometimes putting back what they're giving out or using sarcasm is the best way of responding. And it's not always going to land with everyone. I just posted this completely absurd comedian uh, doing what he presented as the sort of Rogan bro podcaster logic. And and I posted it on our feed. We have the biggest following uh, for the podcast on Instagram. And I assumed that everyone would get that it was a joke And yet a lot of people were extremely confused because they thought that he was being serious. So there's still always going to be, that's why these, these, these uh, communications platforms are very challenging uh, because you kind of have to spell things out sometimes. So that that's sort of what I'm weighing and balancing all the time is how I present information. But I think that that's been the thing that's changed the most is trying to be a little bit more considerate before I speak. Well, isn't that fucking special, Derek? <laughs> You're a sweetheart now. How nice. Um, yeah. Wouldn't go that far. <laughs> no, yeah, I think about that too. That is something that's very true. And I think in podcasting in particular, um, if you're making a joke with another person and they get it and kind of understand you, it can include people can be included in it. But if you're presenting something and you have sarcasm, people can misconstrue that, right? Like it, you know, you know what I mean? Like it can work better in a conversation than it can in a subject matter. If that makes sometimes, sense. Sometimes, you know sometimes, but I not mean? always the pro the, the problem is if you're using it with another person, then the listener can also then assume that both of the people are oh, being dicks. Are dicks. <laughs> You're just all a bunch of dicks. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's true. So, so that's true. Doesn't man. always doesn't always land that way. In fact, it's it's no, you can be sarcastic alone. I mean, when I when I cut videos, I've I've really found that what I after this book, you know, this was co-written by the three of us. And then I'm thinking about the next book I'm doing. And I started working on a book on science and media literacy because that is my focus. And then I realized I could spend the next year or so writing this book that hundreds or maybe, you know, if I'm comparing it to our current book, thousands of people have read, but nowhere near tens of thousands or anything at the level that I would like. But that is challenging in the form of communication that we do. So if I'm thinking about reaching, let's say 5,000 people with a book that would actually read it. I know that each of my videos 
that are two minutes long that touch upon a topic of science or media literacy reaches tens of thousands of people through the platforms that we have. And it's more effective because they're paying attention. Whereas in the book, you never know because there's no relationship or dialogue that's possible. So that's another thing I've been thinking about is, is really creating content that fits the medium in which I'm presenting it. And yeah. that's challenging as a writer because I just want to yeah. write books all the time. But that's not how yeah. people pay attention and consume information. So I put more energy and effort into these two-minute videos, which could take four hours to write, produce, edit. You know, all the things you have to do that go into it is quite laborious, but it actually has a bigger impact. So I would say that's also another thing that's changed Um more about my workflow and my work style through the podcast. But that's interesting too, because so many of the people that you talk about on your pod or you've investigated or exposed or um, eh, just, I, I don't I guess investigated is the right term, um, mm -hmm. do the same thing, right? They, they get all that exposure through these short snippets and use the social media platforms to get themselves out. So you kind of learn in a way. Do you think you've maybe learned from them in a way? Well, I think it's just best practices. I mean, besides this, right now, my only uh, job is the podcast along with my Substack. So that's the only way I'm generating revenue at the moment. But I worked before that. I've worked for a number of technology and media companies where... I was doing content management and social media. So uh, that's just the best practice across the board. Uh, but yes, you can you can learn. Like I, I'm watching RFK Jr.'s feed all the time because I'm trying to understand how he's approaching being a presidential candidate, but also knowing the team members that are involved. So I'm, I'm trying to pay attention to like what's landing, what's not landing, how they're presenting information. I think, I think it is always important to understand the moves that people, even if you are criticizing the moves that they're making, yeah. not only to understand how they're doing it, but how they're gaining traction. And you could also make an argument, which I do make that the right has created its own media ecosystem based on what was traditionally a more progressive and liberal media ecosystem, they've just taken so many elements of that, copied it, and then created and made it their own out of watching those moves for so long. So I think we're always watching one another. We're always sniffing each other's butts trying to figure out what's going on. But understanding audience capture and what lands, I think, is important in any sort of medium. Yeah, well, hey, what we mostly talk about here is TV and film and my experience um, in making that stuff along those lines, you see the crossover with people like uh, it first became apparent to me, I guess through internet stuff, I wasn't really paying so much attention, but for me, the first person that kind of made that shift was Chuck Woolery. That motherfucker went from two and two to fucking <laughs> the second amendment. You know what I'm saying? Like you <laughs> remember that dude? Have you have you uh have you ever I remember him from research? my youth, but he's yeah. 
No, I not recent. I, yeah. I I think I've seen. I think he's been on the periphery where I've seen like, oh, he went in that direction. Yeah. But I, I, he's not someone I've looked into. Well, it's it's similar to someone that you covered, which spans uh, both topics, Russell Brand and the stuff that's mm-hmm. been happening lately with him. And you guys did a bunch of episodes, and those were really you did a great job, all of you of like diving into what was going on there because that's been such an interesting thing to see him take his kind of uh i don't know at the time when he first came onto the scene or became known to me i thought oh this this guy's kind of interesting he has kind of that um bill hicks carlin-esque type comedy where Mm -hmm. right where he's like exposing um, he did the same thing, a kind of Carlin thing too, like wordplay, what a word really means, right? Like that was a big mm-hmm. thing that George Carlin did. Um, but he had then expanded his his cultish behavior into the world of conspiracies. And, you know, I often ask myself, why is it that everyone in America seems to be a part of a cult these days? Like it is just the most popular thing. And I see it. You see it not only in politics, spirituality, right? Health and fitness, television, sports, right? The cultivation of a person like LeBron James or something, right? Tom Brady, the all-knowing, all-encompassing winner of everything. We must win all the time, (laughs) America. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, next week's episode is on the Mark Andreessen uh, doctrine that he posted last week called the Techno Optimist Manifesto, and it's basically, I mean, it's just a rehashing. He's presenting it as if it's something new. It's a rehashing of trickle down economics. There's nothing different in it except that it has a sort of technology sheen on it. But but he's he's making the argument that. The problem isn't a resource problem. The problem is that people are technophobes and we should be able to easily have 50 billion people on the earth. And we should not only have 50 billion, but that every one of them should live in abundance. And it's it's such a bullshit argument, but it, it, it is a, an argument in a case both broadly, but specifically when he talks about America of American exceptionalism and the idea of manifest destiny. And this this mindset pervades the tech the platforms that we're using all the time. Uh, you know, he I I just watched before we started recording. He was doing a podcast with his partner Ben Horowitz, his partner in the VC firm uh, Andreessen Horowitz, and they were taking questions from listeners, and one of them was something to the effect of. Um, you know, does this argument apply to marginalized or poorer communities? And they make the argument, how Ben Horowitz does, that marginalized communities are the way they are because they're scared of technology. <laughs> and and so you have these billionaires who run the number one VC firm in America making putting out a manifesto, or one of them did making the argument that basically if everyone just embraced technology all the time, we should all actually be billionaires. 
And that has a cultish quality yeah. to it as well. Yeah. And you can see it on Twitter because just go through oh, his Twitter God. feed and look at all the look at all the Silicon Valley CEOs and the different people in that space who were just basically sucking his dick about it. it, it and if just you actually read it, it's complete nonsense. But um, but that cult of personality pervades every every single industry and it, it takes on another dimension i think when it gets to technology just because of how influential it is in all of our lives yeah well i have a prediction that our children's children will reject all technology and hang out at shopping malls leave their phones i think it might behind. be sooner <laughs> maybe yeah i think it might be yeah. sooner because because well, it's it depends. I mean, I'm not a parent, so I can't really speak on well, that. Well, you know what I mean. Further gen two generations. But, but I, yes, I have read about people, even who are teenagers, late teens now, who are just yell at their parents for being on their phone yeah. all the time. Yeah. Uh, but but you know, but at the same time, some of them are going to be addicted too. So oh, I, I it's going to be part yeah. of it. But yeah. but I do hope I do hope that's the case. And I also noticed that. I'm I still spend time on Twitter both because being a journalist and it's part of my occupation but also because of the people that I track but I open up the app less I'm paying attention less and then I've I've talked to some other people in the misinformation space and they feel the same way like it's almost like they're on the other platforms I'm on blue sky I'm on threads but it's just a sense of like, what are we doing spending all this time in these spaces? Uh, so I do have some hope for that. How do we get back into a better balance with the technology? The one, the one analogy I've used before is that growing up, my father was a computer programmer. So I grew up with computers, but the computer was in the basement. We didn't have it as in the yeah, living room. Yep. And we obviously didn't carry it in our Me pocket. Me too, man. Yeah, we had it downstairs. So most of the time was, yeah, most of the time was out riding bikes. And then when it was raining, maybe you'd be on the computer for a while. So how do we get a better balance like that to where it's more in the basement? And that would be that would be an interesting evolution of how we use these technologies to make go back uh, back to the basement movement derek that's what we need to start <laughs> oh my god do you remember hakan's song back to the womb back to the womb do you remember i don't know no. if you remember that no i don't hakan no, I don't. had a song where he just said back to the womb all over again i'm gonna get hakan on this podcast man he's he's fucking <laughs> He's living the life, man. 30 years in, he's still doing it. I did see uh, Wu-Tang last week. Oh, not really. Was Did, uh, yeah. was, did they, they have a hologram the of ODB or no? No. You don't know that? Young <laughs> DB is is part of it. What? Old, old DB's son it sings all of Old DB. Young DB sings all of Old DB's parts. Now. No. Yeah. Are you serious? Yeah. I'm, I'm totally serious. Oh, my serious. God. Is, yeah, he good, does he, is he like him? Oh, like him? It's like a spitting image. Like he wears the clothes, he does the hair, oh, he sounds like him. That's that's a little sad. Kind, I don't know. That's I. You know what? You know what? Jason think about Bonham. it though. You're like you're a 22 dude, year old dude. He's been playing with them for years. Yeah. So think about this. You're a teenager, and you're like, I didn't know my dad. 
but I can I can watch videos. True, I know all true. about him. I'm in this crew of people who this is what they're going to do for their lives. Yeah. And basically, I can go on stage and do that with them. Yeah. And that's what he does. They're all and like so, his uncles. Hey, yeah, you know, that, that is. You're right. Yeah. yeah. You're right. Yeah. That is kind of so, heartwarming. Will he break out and have his own career? Like the guy who plays Met. <laughs> The guy who plays Method Man in the in the Hulu series uh, for Wu Tang, which was excellent, um, Dave, uh, forgetting his last name though, but he has his own hip hop career. And Method Man was actually on one of his latest tracks, and it's okay, you know. I mean, but but here you go, you know, talk about a career opportunity. Hey, play Method Man in the show because you look like him and you kind of sound like him, and so he got a big uh, boost from that. And so maybe old D, uh, young DB will go oh along those God. lines as well. Young DB, damn! Whoa, is he is he live and uncut? I hope so. Does he like it raw? That's my question. Um, wow, that's I, I, something crazy, man! Wow. I didn't add that show to the list you asked me to put of my top five this year. I don't know if it'd be in the top five, but it was it was a good show. It was fun. I have not checked it out. I should check that out. Um, but uh, yeah, they, let's talk. Oh, they, oh, go ahead. Well, they over mythologize each other, right? But they also tell the story. Shocking. They definitely embellish. <laughs> <laughs> they definitely embellish, but all, all of the members are producers on the show. And so they all had a say. And they did a good job. And it also brings you back to that era in yeah. a very, in a way that, you know, Staten Island was pretty close to where you grew up. Right across the the yeah, sound there, yeah. Uh, so it brings you back to to that era, and it was, I I don't know the way that I approach TV right now and, and in general is if I know what I'm going into, and I don't have a ton of expectations, I'll usually be surprised. Yeah, like so for something like El Conde, I had high expectations because I knew the pedigree of what was going on, and I thought it was really well done. But for something like Wu Tang. I'm like, okay, this is what it is. It's going to be a shit show. And can I enjoy it? And I, I really did. Yes. I, I was just thinking about that last night because I was like, hmm, what is a current dram dramatic TV show that we're all kind of watching like a succession, which is on your list of your top five of the year. And, uh, I couldn't really think of one. I think there's a couple shows that are coming up. That might be, but I think the strike slowed things down, slowed down the dropping when things are coming out because they wanted to kind of be able to lengthen the amount of content through the time that they're going to have. And the actor strike is still happening. A lot of people forget this. Yeah, the yeah. writers are back to work. The talk show hosts are back to work. A lot of reality people, well, that's still, that was shooting anyway. But um, game show type things are back. They're under a separate contract than the actors. So that's the reason why they can come back to work a lot. Because I think it gives people the impression that everything's back to work. But they're not. So it's still going to take some time for uh, a, more great shows to come on and really kind of grab you so i have the same kind of attitude whenever something new comes out i'm kind of like all right until you show me that you're doing something different 
even if it's from great showrunners, because that's always the thing I look at, who's show, who's writing the show, who's show running the show, uh, who created the show, is it the same person? Um, one show that is written, created, show run by the same people is uh, that I would suggest a new show that's come out on Netflix is called Bodies. Have you checked this show out yet? No. This is an interesting show. Just a, a brief like log line. People in different time periods find the same dead body. And I'll just leave it at that. The rest is kind of a mystery of what's happening. Mm. But it's a kind of detective little sci-fi stuff put in there, right? Um, it's got a good cast. It's English. I don't, I, I don't know. It's on Netflix, but I think it might be a ITV or BBC or some production over there across the pond. But uh, that's a good show. Were you happy? You have Succession on your list. Were you happy with the way Succession ended and the final season? And spoiler alert, were you shocked or how did you feel about disposing of Logan so early into the season? I was surprised and like a lot of the episodes, but especially that one, you're kind of in this suspended state because you can't believe you can't believe it's happening. I mean, okay. So you, some people were surprised that he died and I'm like, the show's called succession. The very first image you have. In <laughs> that season was the whole one, show. The, yeah. That was the, the beginning. The of opening it. scene is Logan pissing in his bedroom. Right. And I think Marta coming over and helping him. Like, so, yeah. you know, he's going to die in the very opening scene of the entire series. So it's not that he died. What I loved about it in reflection after I realized that, Oh, he's really dead was how they did it. You never saw him yeah. because that's often how people die. Like you just hear about it. Mm -hmm. And if they're in your life, you just get a call and you're, yeah. you're in this state of like, wait, what? I haven't talked to that person in a month or I just saw them last week and they're, they're dead. What? And so I very rarely see that on screen. It's always dramatic. Right. There's always like this scene where someone dies that doesn't reflect how most people actually die. And that one actually did. And at first, because he uh he he went on to Colbert the, the night after it ran. And basically, you know, laid that out. He's just like, you knew I was gonna die. Like that was part of it. But the reason they did it so early is because the show succession so you have to watch how people pick up the pieces. And so I think that also was very well done. So I would, and that's something I've been thinking about a lot is how seasons end, right? The, the classic, and I'm sure you're with me on this one was just lost was so bad. Like everything about how that show ended was <gasps> horrible. Oh my God. I'm throwing you off the podcast, my friend. So you actually, so you don't agree with me. I hated that ending so much. <laughs> so how seasons close out really uh -oh. is something I think Half about. Half the people so, listening uh, just turned off the podcast on Derek. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I no, think you, the whole like people, the, the Catholic, the Catholic church angle of, yeah. of how it ended just pissed me off so much. I, I'm not, <laughs> Hey, that part has, uh, that part has always made me uneasy. I have come to see it um, 
and maybe kind of more an open gathering place way, but it and representative of more of like a, what the stereotype of the moving on would be at a church. But I still kind of love it. I have a I have a very okay. Big soft that's spot fair. For loss. That's that's fair. That's fair. I really they lost me after season four for the most part, but I stuck with it. Um, but I've been thinking about recent shows and watching how they end up. So Succession, I thought, did a great job of ending. And I'm talking about ending the yeah. series, not the season, because that's a different thing. Um, big, um, not big mouth. Physical, I thought, ended very well. I don't know if you watched that on Apple TV. I, I really never watched that show. that show. And I really like, uh, who's the star of that show? Um, uh, what's her name again? Because she is... Uh, uh, Sheila Rubin, uh, was her name? Looking it up. Uh, Rose Byrne. Rose Byrne. She was yeah. great. Um, that show ended because the, the first 10 minutes of the last, I'm not giving anything away here, but the first 10 minutes of the last episode, it seemed like they were ending it. I was actually considering turning it off because it seemed like they were trying to do that tidy, let's tie everything up in a bow ending. And I was so mad. And then the episode just switches and introduces all of these new plot points. And then it ends leaving it open. And I thought it was brilliant because that's life. Because they're like, these characters are, are going on to new places. And here we're hinting at it, but we're not telling you where it goes. And it was like really well done. But then I think about shows that jump the shark, like Ted Lasso, horrible way to end. Uh, winning time. And they only ended that way because they didn't get renewed for season yeah. three. But... But they ended the series on the Celtics winning, and then they then they do this montage of being, but the Lakers ended up yeah, winning all these times. What? You're like, I was so confused by that ending. Yeah, a winning time is. I would like to talk about that. I had I did not watch physical, but I'm looking at the cast. I didn't, and I really like Rose Byrne very much. Um, oh, the whole cast was great. Yeah, yeah it was really well a, done. I didn't realize they had such a great cast there. She was it, in. It a, was, um, she was in a show called Platonic that was on Apple TV that I didn't think I was going to like with Seth Rogen that I ended I didn't up. I see that. Yeah, it's really good. It was It's like they're just, they were college friends and they're just platonic friends, kind of like brother and sister, but not. And they hadn't talked in many years and then they kind of get back together and then they see each other's lives. She has kids. He's kind of like a single brewery guy, you know, so it's like got this little hipster vibes to it, but it actually turned out to be very fun. She's fantastic. She's very funny. Uh, her husband in the show, Roy Scoville, was very good. Uh, he also makes an appearance right at the end of Old Dads uh, with Bill Burr, uh, Bill Barr and the new. Um, <laughs> I haven't seen Bill that Burr. Movie. Bill Burr. Oh, it's so fun! You're gonna love it. It's so funny. It kind of gets cheesy near the end. The first hour is hilarious, and then you know it kind of takes on a, a, a just an expectable arc. But yeah. it's still really funny. And then Rory Scovel comes in right at the end. And if you know his character in physical, what he does in that movie, it's almost like they wrote that part for him because the way that it winds up, it was like everything about it. I was like, oh, they they just literally plucked him from physical to put him in the scene. It was, it was really funny. I'm looking at this dude. He looks familiar to me. I don't know what I saw him in, but I didn't realize that uh, 
Paul Sparks is in that. I like that dude. You know, he does theater with Michael Shannon in New York. They're doing. Oh, a, he's yeah. You can tell yeah. too. You can tell by the way he acts in in that he's a very good physical actor in he physical. Uh, he he does a really good job of um, using expressions to carry so much of his dialogue, so he doesn't have to talk as much. Uh, it reminds me of uh, Cillian Murphy, as you know, how he can move his eye and you you have a whole story. Yeah, um, he's not face that, he's that not that. Has. <laughs> he's not that tied in, but, but Paul Sparks really, his physicality actually says a lot yeah. in, in the show. Big heads. That's very important in acting. You know that in casting, you must have a large head. Michael Shannon <laughs> is tied for me. <laughs> this is the thing I'm very interested in, by the way. And it's true. It's 100% true. Actors have, they're usually shorter with big heads. But if you're taller, you must have an extremely large head. Michael Shannon. Then I would, I, maybe I should have acted because I'm 6'3 and I have a pretty big head. I have a large <laughs> head as well. I should have. Heath, who does the podcast network and is an actor, very large head. Good height, too. You don't want to be too tall. See, we're a little bit too tall to be at. Like you get like yeah. a Vince Vaughn or something, you know, like they're known for that. Like you immediately know they're tall, right? Like Tom Cruise, yeah. you don't think about the fact that Tom Cruise is literally like five foot three. That dude is on so many Apple boxes. He could run <laughs> like the Dickens, but he is not reaching for something on a, on a, like a top shelf at a supermarket. That's not how it's five, five, seven. He's five seven. That okay. is not how still, tall yeah. Tom Cruise is. I'm telling you, I know people who met him. <laughs> I have talked to people. He is at best five four. At best. <laughs> if he has shoes on. Okay. He is a tiny little man. That doesn't mean that's okay. I know I'm big. I'm a big dude. When I say that, it sounds bad. I'm just saying that it is true. And I and we both know you were we were talking about our knees earlier. I wish I was tinier. You live longer, right? You don't put as much wear and tear on you. My knees are carrying around this big fat ass I have. It's <laughs> yeah, but there are advantages to being tall. I'll, I'll always, true. I'll always appreciate the advantages. That's true. Ladies like the tall guys, Derek. Just the way <laughs> it is. It's just the world. Um, you had Perry Mason on your list. I fucking yeah. love this show. I'm very upset that yeah. it got canceled. Um, oh, so I didn't, I didn't know it got canceled. Oh, I thought there was another season. I'm sorry, pal. And look at me offhand like that <laughs> bad news on a podcast. I'm sorry. Yes. It got because, canceled because it got canceled because it didn't, it didn't end. Like there was another story how it ended. So no, he goes to jail. I thought, I thought he was going to come out of jail. Okay. I don't know if it got canceled before the ending or not, because I assumed that he was going into jail for a few months and then he was going to come out. He was going to be with that woman and there's going to be another story. Like that's how they yeah. kind of set it up. Yeah, they did, but it got canceled. They, they uh, thought it was going to continue, but you know, there's been so much shuffling, especially at HBO um, that I think that that was also, that was a very expensive show. That yeah. was very, very expensive. The sets they do, uh, I kind of feel like it came down to, and I may, I don't know, I may or may, I may be inventing this, or I read an article about it that it may have come down to the Gilded Age or Perry Mason. 
because both of them are extremely expensive production wise. I don't know if, have you ever watched the Gilded Age? The second season is coming out this weekend. Uh, no, I haven't watched it. Wow. That is a really, f- are you a fan of like Downton Abbey or any of that kind of no. shit? No, no, that's why. No, no. Yeah. Why not? Why don't you like yeah. Downton Abbey? Is that, a, is that, I don't like anything that <laughs> with English people <laughs> has to do with 19th century Victorian oh, England. Okay. okay. I literature, don't literature. Okay. But I actually, someone had recently told me the argument that some of these shows, and I don't, I don't know, it might be Gilded Age, looks at that period from the point of view of the servants. Yeah, it's more so, and it's more so. There's, there's some that, and not that, but even stretching back, but I think it's become a genre in all, like, um, even though it's a different country and time period, like The Great on Hulu, where it was more like subversive and kind of, it's about Catherine the Great. Yeah. It's kind of like, uh, it, but yes, definitely. I mean, Downton Abbey proclaimed to be like a classic upstairs, downstairs, right? Where you're looking at the servants as well as, and they come together. But it's still, it is what it is. It's kind of more of an actual telling of maybe one of the nicer rich ass families. But the Gilded Age is definitely takes a little bit more of, I don't I guess, American slant to it. And it's basically like Carrie Coon is like new money. And she's trying to, she's just states in the first episode, like, I am going to run this motherfucker. <laughs> she just <laughs> basically throughout the whole season is trying to ingratiate herself with rich people. And it de- it does deal with some like real life, you know, historical stuff of New York and all that. But generally it does also have that kind of upstairs, downstairs feel where some of the people are not of the same station as the others, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. There is a black girl that's on it that th- that they have. They highlight the in- they actually I think they do some very interesting things and educate people in a way about what was going on during that time period, which may surprise some people about her family and the situation that she finds herself in, which ends up being almost exactly like the white people, right? But just they're coming from the same perspective from a different place. Uh, which I found interesting. And supposedly in the second season, it expands upon that. But I think you'd like to show, but the sets they make for it, I think a lot of people watching it don't realize how much of the sets they build. And they are absolutely like startlingly amazing. The work that the people do, like talking about the strike, but you know, like production designers and just the crew people, the carpenters and builders, and they use they use a lot of this as practical large sets, but they use some miniatures too. I'm a bit obsessed with the since I'm all into Lego and shit and building that little shit. I'm kind of obsessed with the use of miniatures in films and have become oh. more interested in that. Did you go to the Pinocchio exhibit at the Portland Museum? No. Uh, who did the last Pinocchio? It came out last. Um, Guillermo del Toro, I think. Gear, gear, yeah. So, the, oh, you should. It's not. It's no longer running. But we went. I think in August, the Portland Museum had a bunch of the sets from Del Toro's. Oh yeah, Pinocchio. he's totally yes. He loves miniatures and 
and they had all of the character. It was so well done. It was so amazing to see because what they were doing was they, they actually took like 10 different scenes from the movie and they set it up with the camera showing. So you can look through the camera and see what you, you know, see the, uh, the movie part, but then you see the actual set. Oh, I like that. That's cool. And then, and then they also showed things like how the characters were frozen in place. Like it was really well done. That was a great exhibit. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I love that stuff, man. I was just, um, I just posted, uh, on Facebook. I've been watching this guy named Baz who lives, I think it's Queensland. Uh, is that Australia or no, no, I think he's New Zealand. And he mm-hmm. built a replica of one of the um, Battlestar Galactica, like the main ship. I don't know if you've ever watched the second version of Battlestar Galactica. I did not. Dude, you would love that show. It is really intelligent. It's a great show. I, I Actually, I'm quite surprised. It deals with uh, a lot of awesome sci-fi stuff, but a lot of religion stuff. Uh, politics. It's a fantastic series. If you ever want to binge something, watch the, the, not the original version though in that world, that version exists. It's the the second, uh, this it's like a sequel to the original series, but it's much different. It's, it's told in a, um, a much deeper way than the original. I don't know if you were watched Battlestar Galactica back when you were a little kid. Were you a no, fan? I never really got into it. I never got into it. I love just that. like Star Trek. I was a Star Wars kid. I wasn't a Star Trek kid. I love them both. How about St- you watch Starsky and Hutch though, right, man? Come on. Yes, absolutely. Of course. Yeah. Come on. Starsky and, Chips. and Hutch. Chips, oh, Chips might be God. the reason that I ended up in LA. <laughs> Chips is amazing, dude. Yes. <laughs> oh, as soon as you say that, I hear the music and I see him going down the highway. <laughs> and I'm like, Eric Estrada, man. Fucking A, dude. Um, wow. Yeah. Oh, and you know, I was actually thinking recently, I used to be a huge Dukes of Hazard fan and I'm like, I got to go back. Yep. There was the Confederate flag on their car. Like, what was I missing? (laughs) I, that was the lifestyle that, you know what I'm saying? I mean, there's a lot in that show, I'm sure. But for me as a child, what I remember is Daisy Dukes. Definitely remember that because I am a brunette guy. Um, and just the car jumping around chasing the car and be a lot of the shows that we grew up on, even though there were a lot of cop shows, there were almost an equal amount of buffoon cops, right? So even though I think a lot of people who like dive into television complain a lot, like it's cops, lawyers, doctors, right? And the portrayal of these people, and like what it says about America and whatnot. But I think that when I think about um, people in charge in the TV shows we watched growing up, I think that they were actually a lot of times buffoons. They were made to be silly. Cause you think about Roscoe Pico train and boss hog, right? Like, yeah, they were the yeah. bad guys. The Duke boys were the good guys. Um, 
You all you have on your list now two of the shows you have Full Circle and Lupin. I have not seen them, but my wife watched Full Circle and I think I might watch it. Lupin I do want to watch. I know all about that show. I watched the first episode. I just didn't go back to it, but I'm going to go back and watch it. But I want to ask you, when you watch Lupin, do you watch with the subtitles or do you do the dub? Oh, subtitles. But my, uh, Callan, my wife has a degree in French literature, so she would rather hear French, first of all, because she doesn't need the subtitles at that point. And secondly, I, I hate dubs in general. I never use dubs. Uh, yeah, Lupin full circle was really well done. It's a limited series. I think it's only six episodes. That's if Soderbergh. I remember correctly. Yeah. It's Soderbergh. Yeah. Uh, it's dramatic. It, it, it tells a, it tells a really fascinating story because I don't think a lot of, I, uh, Guyanese culture makes its way into American cinema. So that was fascinating. You can see the crossovers that they have with both black American culture in Brooklyn and Queens at the time, but also with, Caribbean cultures because Guyanese food and cuisine, uh, cuisine and fashion and even not really music, but has a lot of crossover. So I found that aspect really fascinating. Um, what I liked was they don't cut back on the patois at all. So Callan had to watch that one with subtitles because she doesn't uh, really follow patois very well, especially Caribbean patois. But it, it really kind of honored. And it also, it had the Indians in Guyana, which, so there were so many layers that, uh, cultural layers that were being discussed kind of underneath all of it. That was fascinating. Uh, so from a, yeah. yeah, from a dramatic perspective, I really enjoyed that. But I said earlier, like, so going into that, I had high expectations and they were met. Going into Lupin, there are so many plot holes. Like there's, it, it's just, you have to suspend your disbelief when watching that show. And when you do, it's really fun. It's, it's a fun show because it, it's just absurd. Yeah, the that stuff guy's that he charming. Gets away with. Yeah. 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 So if you, if you're in there, you know, we just finished season three last night. Uh, I, I mean, I, I hope that there's a season four. I actually haven't looked into whether or not that's it. It, it's one of those like Perry Mason because he basically where he ends up, it's like that could be it or he could come back to do another tale. So um, that'll be interesting to see. I should probably it looks like that, there are. Yeah. Gonna, it looks like it is going to happen, uh, but it has okay. not been. It doesn't look like it's not. It's not confirmed, but the creator has been already talking about. We've got plans for a next season. Great. And Great. I think that it does it does quite well. You never know. What oh, Netflix, it, it, there's but. actually in in season two. There's a coastal town in France that wasn't very well known, I guess, or you know, it was kind of a sleepier tourist town. And when they did this one episode, uh, they like people flocked to the town, and like residents were really pissed. And apparently, a lot of businesses had to shut down because of the number of tourists that came after oh, wow. the show. It is. It is one of the biggest shows in France, so it definitely took off there. Uh, I just, yeah, I find it charming. It's one of those shows where I know I can turn off my critical brain and just enjoy, and I do, and and it's it's fun. Do you watch any reality television at all? Anything? No, nothing. Nope. No Survivor. Nothing. Nope. Have you nothing. ever Not seen one. Survivor? Uh, just random clips. You know, I actually. 
I used to play basketball with uh, oh. Philip Shepard, who was on season one. Philip Shepard. He got kicked off. Apparently, a lot of the cast did not like him. And getting to know him a little bit just through playing basketball a few days oh, a week at the YMCA. Okay. Yeah, I remember him. Wait, he came back yeah. on. Yeah, yeah. He he he's a trip. I got along with him, yeah. but he's uh he he he's a trip. I'll just leave it at that. I haven't seen him in a long time, but yeah, I, I used to play I used to play basketball. So just since this is a TV um a TV uh um podcast, TV and cinema, I so the basketball open gym we would run with, he was there and then um Clark Gregg was also one of the players. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> so, so I, I didn't know that when I started playing with them. And then all of a sudden it was just like, I found out who they were and that's, really? that was, uh, of used to play with yeah. three, yeah. Three mornings a week. Wow. Well, so that, that is the closest to reality TV I've come is okay. playing with a survivor cast member. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, I am a huge reality TV fan. Actually, for my wife and I, that was something we bonded over watching like The Bachelor. We like to watch and like make fun of people and tell jokes. And, you know, we have, we have a good time watching some reality. But um, one of the shows. One of oh, go ahead. One of my very good friends, uh, who I still talk to regularly, um, he's a filmmaker, but he fell into reality TV. So he was the producer of, I'm looking at his IMDb, Tia and Tamara, True Tory, mm. Relentless, Dude Perfect, Dream Home Makeover, Are You the okay. One? Oh. Are You the One? Are you the one? Blood Money. I'll, I'll, I'll uh, share in the chat here so you could see his list. But since you like reality TV, Okay. Uh, he's a close friend of mine and he's made a career working in that. And I've heard some stories. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm sure I'm sure that to me is uh comedy. I don't watch like sitcoms, both my wife and I, we don't really, not really into like comedy sitcoms. So reality TV is, and I think in many ways that has replaced the sitcom um culturally mm. uh people i it, could say yeah. Callan watches a, not a lot actually neither of us watch a lot of tv but uh -oh. usually i know she got really into that jewish dating one and then the indian matchmaking okay. oh, one love it love both of those shows baby <laughs> yeah. oh oh come on indian matchmaking and is fantastic my bio data I have the bio data. I love talking about with Afu about that shit, man. He can translate some of what the fuck's happening for me. Well, the, the ar argument that Callum makes is that it's really good cultural insights in some of these shows. Like you learn about cultures you would not usually think of. And I can understand that. I just also know that they're so scripted and it's just, I don't know the shooting style, everything about it. And then having a friend who works in an industry, just finding out like how much they do to like fit narratives in. Oh it's just yeah. Kind of course. Bothers me. But I know, oh, all, but no, Derek, but that, I know all of this and it doesn't bother yeah, me yeah. whatsoever. And when I'm watching it, I see it. Like I know when they're like, Hey everybody, I have an idea. Let's go on a trip. Like I know there's people who are watching who are like, Oh, she wanted to go on a trip. 
that's not the producers telling them they're going to a place that that they are getting paid to go to or a sponsorship involved like you know what i'm saying or getting a tax right like i know all that stuff is involved but that's why it's like um you know it's kind of like comedy i see it as comedy and i think a lot of the people who even though there is that displacement that takes place where it ends up that'll edit. I mean, it's happened forever in well, I just Hollywood is not that old, but in Hollywood too, right? Where people can't tell the difference between what is real and what is fake. And those things kind of start blending together. And you do see that as well. Cause we're really into like the Bravo shows and everything, but you should tell your wife to watch family karma on Bravo. Okay. It's awesome. I did watch I did watch season one of The Real World. Oh yeah, back in the day. <laughs> yeah. So I guess well, I did watch something. a reality show once. Yeah. The, one of the originals, man. Yep. <laughs> but the last show that I want to talk about, and as we end the mm-hmm. podcast, and it brings us back closer to our home state, is I have not finished this show yet because like a fine wine. I watch an episode and I fucking chill because I find the episodes are so deep. Just, I just, I rewind and, and this is, I'm talking about how to with John Wilson, the ultimate New York show, the best show about New York. The two greatest shows about New York city are Rick Burns, New York and how to with John Wilson. And they should update that Rick Burns one and they should redo the whole nine 11 one because it was fucking, it was just, it was not right. It, that needs to be reexamined. Have you ever seen the, uh, the series New York that Rick Burns did Ken Burns brother? Well, I think Ken Burns no, had I something didn't. to do with it too. Really? I, I have never been a big Ken, Bur- Ken Burns okay. fan. I started, the, I, can dig I started the jazz series. I was like, meh. And then I started national parks and National Parks had like a 15-minute intro that was at such a level of production and music and swelling and yelling. <laughs> and I was like, I, I was like, I can't do this. I can't. It's a little silly. Yes. Yeah, I know. Yep. Yeah. So so yep. Ken Burns has never been my guy. So it's probably if I see him attached to something, I won't watch it. So no, I did not see that series. Well, well Rick Burns, his brother, is a, I, th- I think, and I think a lot of people don't know, I think he's a bit more subdued. Mm-hmm. But okay. the 9-11 episode is exactly what you're talking about. And it's just like the, not in any way a real examination, it, it, you know, and it's it's kind of stains it in a way because they're talking about something in 1850 and, oh, they're fucking critical from every angle possible. But when they talk about 9-11, and I'm not talking about the actual politics of 9-11, I'm talking about the effect it had on Manhattan and you know and new york that's what i'm talking about they don't really examine that in any clear way but how to with john wilson is a fantastic show i love the show so much i'm always pause do you do this do you pause something and be like oh shit i remember that down there <laughs> like what the fuck or think that you might show up in the background cuz he's been shooting this shit for like 30 years so like all of a sudden it cuts to something and it looks like it's in the early two thousands or maybe even the night. And then it's like 2015 or so. We're like, I just, I absolutely love this show. 
and it also is absolutely hilarious. And we both know that we've met a million John Wilsons running around New York. I first off, I think I told you this when I first saw the the first episode was this is the show you should have made. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps I have enough footage. I, I still yeah, have I know. all I mean, the you, footage. Because you were the guy that would just have a camera everywhere, everywhere we went. You had a camera and you were filming shit. And I'm like, you could have I still done have it show. all, dude. Uh, yeah, I, I I just like, there's some shows that you just are like, good for you. Like, this is so quirky. Only you could tell this story and you got it on HBO, you know? When when Mike Hall got Betrayal of Attica on HBO, I felt yeah. the same way. Not that it's quirky, but the fact that he put in so much work and he landed something big. And I felt so. And so when John Wilson was on, I was same feeling. I was like, even though I don't know him and obviously know Hall, but it just to be able to have all of that. And then you get stuff like when you film everything. I don't know if you remember the episode. I think it was season two where he was filming some local production of Massachusetts of something and Keith Ranieri from the Nixium cult is in there. Yeah. And he just he grabs him. And then, and then you make this connection. Like what you just happen to grab that. And then here you go. That documentary has dropped and everyone knows. And then you have this footage and that yeah. was really amazing. And the way that he told stories, the one thing that uh, my wife kept saying when every episode, just like, how do you find these people? Like when he's traveling to Vegas and he goes to Burning Man with some random people he meets and he drives back and he's in Texas and he meets the guy who lives in a bunker and is trying to bring his family into the bunker that they found. It's just like, how, how do you find these things? And I'm like, I'm like, there's so many quirky people that when you start talking to them, you just find out stuff. And yeah, the, he just the talks to everybody. Jump. That's his he thing. He just talks to everyone. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So very, that was so good. So well done. And I'm very happy that he got three seasons out of that. Yeah. Well, that's why I, that's why I think it is the ultimate New York show because not just because it's so much of it is just shots of New York and like the alternate side of the street parking episode and things like that, but it's because it embodies what it is like living, I think in Manhattan, which is you're just like, you just start talking to everybody, you know, you just meet people from everywhere and every weird walk of life. And you're constantly walking around going, does anybody fucking have a job in this city? Like, how are there so <laughs> many people always on the street? Like, what are people doing? Like, it's just a different world, you know? And I mean, I haven't yeah, even been yeah. there. And for me too, I think for both of us too, like we haven't lived there for a, a pretty long time. Um, it does bring like the, you know, you get like kind of little that, you know, you recognize things from the youth and it feels more familiar. Um, oh yeah. And he, and he goes into uh Jersey sometimes. So yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. Well, maybe that's the next series is he's like, how to with John Wilson. The only difference is he's like, now I live in New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> it just goes from there. All right, buddy. Well, that's a good place to end it. We had a nice little chat here. 
That was awesome. One hundred percent. Yeah, we got to like split it up. We talked a little, little, a little uh, conspirituality stuff, a little TV stuff. I like it. It was fun. Um, but yeah. people should go out there, and uh, I'll put your the link in the show notes. But just search conspirituality. Go out, and buy the book. It's awesome. Um, I gave you a nice review on the Amazon, and uh, yeah, you guys are doing great stuff, and it's always awesome to talk to you, pal. You too, buddy. Peace out, everybody. DVRpodcast.com. I'll be back next week. Gina and I are going to talk about my foray into Shaws of Sunset, an amazing Bravo TV show that I just watched nine seasons of, mostly while I was riding that uh, bike in the morning. Um, and then uh, I'm going to have Mike come on too next week. We're going to talk a bunch of stuff. Mike from One Mike and uh, Hopefully soon Mike Hall will come on too. He texted me. I have to text him back. Um, and we'll also be back doing our, oh, I didn't even ask you about Aaron Rodgers and the Jets, but um, maybe we'll save that for another <laughs> podcast. That's that. There's a, there's a conspirituality angle with Aaron Rodgers too, isn't there? He's. Uh, oh, we've, we've covered uh, him. Yeah. Absolutely. Hey, hey, Raj, baby. Um, all right, everybody. We'll be back next week. Take care. Peace out.